Welcome to episode 92 of The Digital Life, a show about our adventures in the world of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, John. So today, let's talk a little bit about the realm of bio-inspired tech. Uh, I think this is such a tremendous area. I think Bill Gates was quoted as saying something like if if he were going into tech now he would be going into biotech because that's where all the action is i'm i'm paraphrasing um but bio-inspired technologies are uh, going to be huge in the future and you know even now uh, we're starting to see some of the some of the fruits of that um, and i know that the sort of the science design and engineering all come together uh, to create some amazing things. Uh, the first item uh, we have to talk about today is the idea of data storage. Um, you know, we have data storage problems now, don't know where to put it all, and it's hard to uh, uh, keep it from going bad, frankly. Um, but data storage in a natural repository of DNA, uh, which I think is a, a fascinating uh, use of of DNA coupled with uh, storage technology, so so researchers in in um, in Zurich in Switzerland uh, uh, have found a way of encoding uh, 83 kilobytes of information in a DNA strand, and apparently, if you have one gram of DNA, you um, you've got 455 exabytes, or uh, the equivalent of 455 billion gigabytes. So that's a lot of, I don't even know if you call it, uh, you know, you can't call it hard drive space, sort of soft storage space, right? So um, that's, that's a pretty amazing uh, amount. At the same time, it's really not uh, all that stable, right? So they have to find a way to to stabilize it over time, fossilize it maybe. But uh, when when you think of you know a problem like data storage being being solved by a, a all natural solution, right? Like DNA. What what are the thoughts that that uh, come across your mind, Dirk? Well, I mean, it touches on on so many things, right? I mean, you you open the show talking about biology and and the relationship with technology, and it's this is such a great example of that where. Um, it's it's really it's really where we're headed across uh, many different evolutions of computing technology, not just storage, but we're getting going to get more and more into um, both integration into our biological selves, but then also um, getting lessons from the world of biology outside of just the human animal and incorporating those lessons as we're now able to really understand. Um, the world just with increasing crispness and clarity. Um, you know, nature nature is the best technology of all. Uh, so the, the the more that we can learn from it, um, the the more advanced the things that we'll be able to build to extend ourselves will be. You know, the other thing I think for listeners of this show that might be sort of particularly relevant is the the, the storage. You know, having data storage in DNA is is part of what's going to be an increasingly uh, growing trend, which is uh, basically um, interfaceless. Um, experiences. So, if you know, if we assume that this path of data storage 
um, you know, storing within our own genes basically is is optimal. There's no place for um, user experience in there. There's there's really no place. I mean, there will need to be a user interface, of course, but um, at that level, you know, there will be it will be solved at sort of a system level of here's the interface, you know, here's the physical interface between the being and the you know the the computing uh, stuff that that shoves the shoves the data in. Um, so this is a whole category for which there is no need for UX. There is no need for UI, um, at least in the ways that we think about them, and at least in the ways that employ a whole bunch of people currently. So. Uh, data storage, this is just one really good example of something that's going to be happening across a wide front, namely that we're heading towards um, interfaceless experiences. And, you know, that that will be uh, troubling, perhaps, for the many, 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 many people who are training up and getting into what is currently a very vibrant um, user experience job marketplace. Yeah, I think, you know, in sort of a, a larger sense, there is there is a huge need, I think, for bio-inspired product, well, you know, we'll call it product design, right? But it, it it's much more than that. It's sort of what is the, <clears throat> or what are the human aspects of, you know, any of these uh, biotechnologies? What what are the ways uh, that relationships are are managed and mitigated um, on the human side? Because you know, ultimately, it is it is data that we're going to want to store and retrieve in this particular example. So there is there's 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 a a read write part a, uh, a a consumption part of that that you know ultimately has to relate to the individual whether it's via you know an interface as we would normally think about it or you know in a larger sense of the interface you know maybe it's uh, uh, you know how the information moves from uh, something that we can you know touch and manipulate into this into this um, archival state and back again so so I do think there's there's tremendous need for design type thinking but as the UX industry is framed up currently it doesn't quite encompass uh, that I feel yeah I mean that's true you know, the, the the questions that would still be relevant and interesting for people of you know perhaps the sort of background and skills that UX people have have to do with systems and complexity and interrelationships it's it's sort of a whole a whole scale up and requires different types of thinking and training um, perhaps than a lot of the people currently engaged in in UX uh, have have behind them yeah, that's that's an excellent point. I mean, this you know we, we talk about user experience as if it's this um, well uh, articulated craft that's existed for a while, but really it's this very young and malleable area where I think there's some you know important uh, aspects, whether they come from sociology or ethnography or architecture or other aspects of design that have been. Um, absorbed into the the general framework of user experience, which may sort of spin off again, right? So, so if you want to be a bio-inspired product designer, do you start with the user experience path, or do you come in via the you know uh, 
the the bench scientist, right? Are you you a lab worker first, or are you a systems thinker? I don't know. I don't know where you start on that path. Um, certainly, I think you could start from a design perspective and get into it, but you'd have to have that that uh, scientific rigor or at least appreciation for it. Yeah, I mean, there's going to need to be a scientific and engineering knowledge at a level that, you know, 99% of designers do not engage with or begin with. And even if they do today, it's sort of strictly limited to computer science and often um, more at a scripting practical level as opposed to the theory that is going to become more and more important as all of these sciences, sciences and technologies um, converge. It's, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, I, I, you know, and we can see the problems that we have currently, you know, just in training up uh, designers for the user experience industry. There's a huge gap in the amount of um, designers available with the right skills to handle the digital life, right? So we can imagine, we can see a similar gap coming already on the biotech side. I mean, there's no doubt there's going to be, you know, need for... Uh, human relationship with these technologies. So I almost wonder as if uh, we're going to repeat the same mistakes uh, in, on the education side, not preparing uh, the designers of the future to handle these, you know, bio-inspired materials. Well, you know, I think that the designers of the future are largely going to be scientists and engineers. They're not going to be designers. So, so um, I, I don't think, I think it'll be very different. It'll be like going back to, you know, I, I guess I'm not familiar with the nitty grittiness of computer history enough to really say this with authority, but it, it'll be like going back to the 1950s through 1970s in, um, you know, in, in the evolution of computing technologies where it really is, you know, the scientist, the engineer, the specialist who is sort of creating something, you know, soup to nuts with, um, you know, no thought even of sort of an independent outside designer. Now, I think because of what's come before it, the notion of design will, will still be in the air and there will be a role. But I think, I think it will be much more common where it will be someone who really grocks the tech, really grocks the science, the, the hard stuff, um, and is just able to bring, bring something, at least initially, to life um, you know, without, without the, um, without the deep involvement of design or a designer or, you know, somebody whose role is more to transition what they do, um, what they do from an engineering perspective into something that's more human friendly, more usable, um, as the interface itself goes away and as these technologies get closer to just being sort of essentially part of us, um, there just isn't the same need for for a design layer as we understand it today as this separate thing involving other people. Yeah, that's 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 a good point. I I think there's well, you know, when I see the evolution of of call it the design field broadly, I I feel like there's a lot of opportunities that have not yet even been identified in terms of, uh, you know, roles to play within organizations. So, uh, you know, from my perspective, I, I, I do think that uh, you're, you're correct about assuming that the engineering and technology part of it are going to play uh, an extremely important part. Um, I also think there's going to be a lot of hybrid roles that, um, that we're going to uh, see come into being over the over the next decade or so for example i, I i'm sure that 
um, in synthetic biology, there's going to be a whole realm of software that, that sort of handles um, the manipulation of, of genes uh, in, the, uh, in the digital environment and, and models that prior to, you know, actual deployment on a, uh, you know, creating these, these artificial uh, organisms. So, so I, I just think this, this opens up a, a, a lot of other categories where design could play a role, but I think technology, uh, as you said, will also uh, be, you know, a dominant force there. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, and we'll, we'll see. I mean, actually, I think this could probably be a whole other show. Um, but I know, I know you've got more on, on our plate. We can come back to this in another week. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I did want to mention a, a couple other bio-inspired uh, products and materials that, that caught my eye. Uh, one in particular, um, there's, there's a, a mollusk that uh, has optical features in its shell uh, that, that scientists are looking at to create translucent displays that would, that would you know, essentially uh, serve as, as um, uh, windows or, or what have you uh, in one state and then be able to display light or, you know, digital content in another state. So imagine you're um, uh, driving in your car and when you're stopped, at a, you know, stopped for some reason, uh, you know, the, the windshield perhaps becomes your display uh, momentarily and then can become uh, translucent again. Um, all of this uh, coming from uh, the structure of this, uh, this mollusk shell, which essentially allows it to reflect um, blue light uh, to, to frighten uh, or, or at least to deter predators who might, um, might want to eat it. Um, so, so that's just another example, I think, of uh, sort of deriving from the natural order this, uh, you know, amazing uh, possibilities and really, you know, using nature as the R&D lab, right, for, um, for ideas about how to uh, structure materials. Um, so, so I was, I was pretty astounded by that. The, uh, the other example I wanted to highlight today was, uh, from, from the field of robotics, actually, um, receiving some bio inspiration. And that was in these tiny little swarming robots, these robot bees that are, um, you know, theoretically uh, to be used for things like disaster recovery or observation or climate mapping or traffic monitoring or wherever you would need sort of difficult, difficult to reach environments, wherever you would need the, um, the capability of sending in robots in, in swarms. So, mm -hmm. so those, are, those are just two... I think areas you've got your robot robotics and then you've got your uh, display technologies, um, which are as different as can be, um, but are which you know receiving this uh, this bio inspired materials and 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 running with it really. There's probably not going to be you know any aspect of our technology that isn't bio inspired at a certain point. Well, I don't know about that, um, but yeah, I, no. I mean, we we talked about it earlier on the show. I mean, the, the 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 amount that we're learning from the natural world. I mean, nature nature is the finest technology. It's the uh, oldest technology that we're aware of, um, 
you know, and, and we're learning more and more from it as our tools for understanding it get sharper and and crisper. So um, it's there. You know, the two examples that you mentioned, um, they're they're sort of exciting and exhilarating. They're also, you know, a little a little bit scary, but um, we're just gonna have to get over it because it's uh, it's coming. You know, um, this stuff is going to just keep keep coming. There's no there's no debate. There's no um, sort of open conversation about whether this should be happening. It's happening, and um, so we just need to get ready. Yeah, I think you know you've made the point. Uh, I think repeatedly about the uh, use of drones, right, and and sort of managing and, and regulating those, and and uh, you know deploying them in a safe manner, and all of the potential problems that that result, um, you know, from from drones being uh, uh, not handled properly. Well, you know, when you've got the possibility of these. Uh, robot bees swarms right so so now you've got the same problems that you'd have with with drones but multiplied across um across a swarm um i i think that um you know the the rapid pace of change uh for these technologies being discovered and deployed it's it's almost almost impossible for us to uh to keep up with it at a certain point yeah, and the potential, you know, the potential for really malicious um, action is is there. You know, I think about it. There, there's there's regularly on the news you'll have stories about, um, you know, somebody's pet python got out of its cage and, you know, um, attacked someone in an apartment building or or what have you. And you know, we're we're heading to technology where there can be you know nanobots that basically are you know self um self-ordering actors that could you know climb into our bodies and, and kill us um uh, you know it does this does this technology get so cheap and so accessible and so democratized that somebody could just you know unleash a thousand nanobots um you know in ways that would hurt us i mean there's people out there who do really stupid things um, you know, we've, we've seen what people do in the United States, certainly with, with assault weapons, um, you know, as you get, as you get these technologies that have even less accountability, that have even more, um, have even more abstraction from actual people, you know, you don't have to look them in the eye as you, um, eradicate them. I mean, what, you know, what, what are the possibilities? And I know this example might sound a little, a little alarmist, um, but, unchecked um and if if the technologies really um get to a certain point of programming and affordability like this stuff is just just in play and it's it's weird it's so different certainly from the the sort of analog world that i grew up in in the 70s and 80s it's uh i don't know it's a cool time man yeah i i, I think you you know you hit it on the head there there's there's this tremendous potential for doing good and at the same time we can't really comprehend um the 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 equal potential for for doing bad things and you know i think we have to hope that the technologies we're pursuing do have positive overall impact at the end but we've we've talked about unintended consequences before and you know i guess i guess we can really never know for sure on that note, 
listeners remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com, that's just one L in the digital life, and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody, so it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening, or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter, at John Follett, that's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by Involution Studios, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer, that's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R, or email me Dirk at GoInvo.com. So that's it for episode 92 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>